Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. Welcome also across this great land of the United States of America to our affiliate radio stations. You are my opinions. You will pay homage to me for the next two hours. Why? Because I am your fearless leader. I will guide you through this crazy world of sports that we've got going on and an exciting time it is to be talking about sports. We got Matthew Embry uh, from a Popular Open Wheel in our green room. Going to be talking with us about what's going on here in Indianapolis. Something big, something really big. Also, the Indy Mini Marathon today officially kicked off the month of May, even though they're not really associated with the Indianapolis 500. Certainly uh, kicks off all the excitement here in the city. Also, Kentucky Derby, get your money down on your ponies. Going to outrun a ghost this week or what? We'll be talking about that later on in the show uh, with Mo from the BS Sports Show. We know where Romeo is. Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, where for out We know where you are. And we'll be talking about that as well. And we also know where the Raptors are not. My name's Saul Mark with Sal Presidento. <laughs> And I'll be back with our executive producer who, uh, inside joke here, uh, I saw him just sign in. Uh, great name, Rick, there. My name is Tom Mark with Sal Presidente. We'll be right back. You're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new Beat Up Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. 
Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to the balance time to kick things off. But before we, we do, let me bring in the, the uh, executive producer, our brand-new executive producer, Romeo Rigford. Uh, <laughs> Rick, how are you doing, <laughs> sir? Hey, pretty good, Tom. Just trying to throw you off, uh, off your game as often <laughs> as I can. <laughs> hey, man, you succeeded. That was funny. Also joining <laughs> us uh, from uh, Popular Open Wheel is our official IndyCar contributor, uh, Matthew Embry, good morning to you, sir. How are you? I think our friend at Weather Channel, Maria LaRosa, just said it all. I don't think it's the run for the roses of the Kentucky Derby today. It's the run for the raincoats. Uh, once again, <laughs> it's going to be another messy day in uh, Louisville, unfortunately, and uh, probably may put a damper on the race and uh, may make another front-running uh, fest for a horse such as Justify, but of course, not a bad thing, considering uh, it would mean a fifth win for Bob Baffert and a passing a legend in uh, D. Wayne Lucas to take over second to himself as far as all-time Kentucky Derby winners. Only one trainer, Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons, would have more wins if Baffert wins today with six. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tell you what, I, I, I'm always getting excited to watch the Actually, ponies. check that. Ben Jones would have, would have has the most with six, not Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons. I apologize there. It's Ben Jones, not Sonny Jim. Oh, no, it's all good. Uh, Rick, are you going to be putting some money down on the ponies today? Uh, no, I actually never do bet on the Derby. I, I love the Derby. I'm actually going to smoke like four slabs of ribs today because of the Derby, but I never bet on the Derby. Man, that sounds like you're calling my number, man. That's but nobody right. can smoke. Nobody can smoke ribs like myself. That's what I'm saying. 
Well, let's get into this talk. Certainly, uh, Matthew, the mini-marathon kicked off the month of May here in Indianapolis. Uh, as we know, the mini-marathon is a half-marathon, the largest half-marathon in the nation. Uh, certainly starts downtown Military Park area and works its way up uh, 16th Street and through the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and back to the Military Park area. And it always is exciting to see these runners come around the track across uh, the field of bricks. And that's because the month of May has arrived in Indianapolis. It's a good thing. I uh, may want to check to see who won because we've seen where a lot of actually Americans are starting to win these big events. I mean, uh, for instance, you had Shalane Flanagan win the New York City Marathon last fall. Uh I forget her last name. It's, I know it's Desiree something won the Boston Marathon last month. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff there, and it's, it shows how the Americans have improved in distance running. It's not just, you know, on the track. Uh, in these marathons and many marathons, the Americans, particularly the women, are starting to have a lot of success. This is always a good thing to see, and it means a chance when we get to, you know, the next Olympic Games for a chance to win more medals, not just – necessarily in the sprints and uh, some of these other power events where the U.S. is dominated, but also some other areas where, you know, the Kenyans and a few others have uh, owned it for years. Uh, Americans trying to take back uh, ground lost on that, and that's always a good thing to see. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll have Rick uh, be monitoring social media for the uh, hashtag Indie Mini and, uh, and let us know who who's winning. I know that they have at least one winner. Uh, it, I don't know what category it is, but I do believe that he is one of the Kenyans, uh, and we affectionately refer to them as that uh, just because they seem to be the ones that win every single year. But more importantly, coming up next weekend, we've got the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Talk with us a little bit about, a lot of people may not know this, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is actually two race courses. You've got your oval courses, and you've got your road course. And the road course, as we know, was uh, put together uh, when Formula One was here, and it, it kept in place. And the, the, the ability to move the road course back to the oval in just a, a short amount of time is amazing, an amazing amount of teamwork. But what will happen this weekend is the road course, the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Talk with us a little bit about the, the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, the big question is, could someone other than Will Power and Simon Pagina win? Because those are the two guys in the first four years that have won the race each on two occasions. Uh, you obviously got a potential challenger in Alexander Rossi, if you go by what he did in Long Beach. And then, obviously, uh, Joseph Dugarden, considering he has two wins, including one in Alabama. So those two guys have certainly got a chance. And uh, maybe even a, a Sebastian Bourdais or James Hitchcliffe uh, bounces back uh, this weekend. If not, uh we see a maiden victory uh, next weekend for one Robert Wickens, who's come close on a couple of occasions. So a lot of big names are on the list. And, uh, yeah, it's a basic circuit uh, considered to some of the other road courses, but there's still some decent place where you could overtake. And obviously getting through turn one, we've seen it the last several years uh, on the first lap has ruined the race for several. So being able to survive that and then getting to the net rest of the distance, uh, always a key factor there. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, it should be a very interesting situation. But uh, if you have to go for favorites, uh, Power and Pagido are obviously the two men that uh, come to mind. And especially in the case of Simon Pagido, who's had a dreadful start uh, to 2018, as has Power uh, finishing down the list in three of the first four rounds. 
You know, last year, uh, you and I watched Alonzo Fernando uh, take the track and really do well. Uh, and this year, we see Danica Patrick uh, make her final run in IndyCar. Uh, two really big things to put butts in the seats. Do you think that that, that will be successful for Danica as, as successful as for Fernando? I don't think so. But certainly, it'll be interesting to see the crowd reaction to a fan favorite, Danica Patrick, back in IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. She may have something planned for us in qualifying, but I just don't see how it could transfer into the race itself. Uh, the fact that she did not have a, an opening stanza like Fernando Alonso did, I think the thing that put Alonso on the map as a potential contender was the outstanding performance he had during the ROP session. And then he just rode it to, you know, a top-nine qualifying run and then leading in several laps. And honestly, I thought he had a chance to win the race before the engine let go. So uh, I'd love to see it for Danica, but I just don't think, uh, based on what I've seen with ECR, uh, yeah, Carpenter will be competitive, maybe something for Pickett, but I don't think Danica is going to have uh, the challenge, even though it looks like, based on the numbers we saw in the open test, Tom, that the difference between the Honda and the Chevrolet is not as big as it's been the last couple of years, which is a good sign, obviously, for GM. And we just uh, recently saw saw your tweet also, uh, Petro Fiatopoli, sorry, I'll get that right, grandson of uh, uh, great IndyCar driver Emerson Fiatopoli, uh, an Indy 500 winner as well. Uh, some leg injuries, what do we know? I think what I put down questionable, I think the word right now is doubtful right now. He suffered injuries to both of his legs. I'd say to the level of what Nelson Piquet suffered when he crashed head-on in India in 1992. You crashed not only head-on, but he had to crash at the wor at the fastest possible quarter at Spa-Francorchamps au Rouge. Uh, that's probably the worst place he could have had the accident. Uh, I really don't think he's going to be back. He may not even be back for the rest of the season. I mean, it's a, it, it may be, I'd say, an accident that saw his injuries that maybe were even worse than what uh, Sebastian Bourdais suffered uh, last year. So I don't think we're going to see Fittipaldi in the 19, which means there's some possibilities of who they could replace with him. Uh, one possibility uh, comes to mind is Ryan Briscoe, maybe. Uh, Zachary Clement de Mayo, maybe another one since the pay safe sponsorship comes from him for that car for the full season. And then, uh, obviously, another indie specialist, if he's willing to get out of the broadcast booth, uh, would be Townsend Bell. But uh be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, of course, they could also withdraw the car. But the thing is, though, the only question is if they withdraw that entry from the list, uh, how does that affect their leader circle, buddy, if they don't run all the races? Do they still get the leader circle, buddy, if they withdraw this car since it is a full-time entry? Absolutely. Well, as we saw, a full week of great testing going on here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Chevy uh, made a good appearance in the testing sessions. Give us a report on testing in Indianapolis. Well, obviously we don't know how quick the Chevrolets are, but 226 from Tony Kadad, considering lack of practice time, is still getting used to a brand-new car. is pretty darn impressive, especially for a Foyt team that I don't think has had a car in the shootout in their history. I may be wrong on that, but I don't believe they've ever replaced a car in the shootout uh, for pole day. So TK certainly has a chance, and obviously it's got to raise the possibilities of Team Penske. As you saw in uh, my gridatology list, I now have three Penske cars in the top nine including Joseph Dugarden, who I had back in the 15th spot in my first list uh, at the end of March. So 
things have certainly gotten better for Chevrolet at this point. A few question marks were raised, though. Uh, James Hinchcliffe and Schmidt did not look so good in there, so I'd moved uh, Hinchcliffe and Wickens down a little bit. Jay Howard also went down. And because uh, they prepared this Meyer-Shank entry, I moved uh, Jack Harvey from in the field to out of the field. So you look at those possibilities, uh, things are looking good. I mean, it's not a situation that's going to eliminate uh, a battle between Rossi and Dixon, I think, for pole. But I think it has brought a couple more contenders in the mix from the Chevrolet cap that could possibly snatch away from one of those two. And obviously the one that comes to mind is Mr. Castroneves. We're talking with Matthew Embry, a popular open wheel now. Uh, check out his grid autology, his uh, power rankings, if you will. He does it every year, I know. And so talk with us a little bit about where you stand with it now. Talk with us about your top ten, how you came about it, and just uh, talk with us about uh, your, your power rankings or grid autology, if you will, uh, getting ready for next week's Indianapolis Grand Prix. Now, to eliminate the disclaimer, I know Rick's got on my case about this. This is not just a blind guess. Uh, this is one that I go by statistics. I go by the eye test. I go by recent history. And I, a lot goes into my mind when I'm thinking right now when I compare drivers. And right now, the two guys that are the quickest guys right now have got to be Scott Dixon, who has won two of the last three polls at Indy, and Alexander Rossi, who made the outside of the front row for an Andretti T that's always has at least a couple cars in the hunt. So those guys had to be at the list. Based on performance so far, though, I've got to give Rossi the edge over Dixon to get the pole. And then I put Elio Castaneros. I had him at the front row at the end of February. Then uh, with the questions about Chevrolet after the opening rounds, I moved him down to six. And then with the open test, I moved it back to number three. So... You have a possibilities there, and then you look second row, Hutter Ray, with his 231.5 last year. Now, of course, that was a consolation, but if he gets back to the top nine, he certainly becomes a threat again. Uh, Carlos Munoz, certainly, with his aggression, you can't overlook him. Will Power, uh, also another one that's moving up the list. And then you look at the rest of the front nine, obviously, with the Chevrolet improvement. Ed Carpenter has to be brought back into it. Joseph Newgarden is the last one in my top nine. And then, obviously, Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, love to see him get another chance after what happened when he had the fastest car. And then my first one out, Ed Jones. And Ed Jones just missed out of the, the top nine last year with Gail Coyne. Has not taken advantage of the new car, supposedly better car with Chip Ganassi. And I think because of that, uh, he will be the odd man out as far as making the shootout for the poll uh, this weekend. And then you look at the bottom of the list, Pippa Man, I think, just barely makes the field at this point. Uh, still question marks about you, some of the teams like Carla. I think both Carla gar- cars, despite that, get in. And then uh, the two guys that I have out at this point, Jack Harvey. He was the slowest of the veterans in the ROP test. That's a scary sign right there. I moved him from 32nd to the first one out. And Yunkos, I still see a lot of disarray with the Yunkos squad uh, trying to get money together to run the rest of the races. And even with that, they've struggled with both Kaiser and Rene Bender behind the wheel. I think if this continues, I don't see how Kyle Kaiser is going to make the field either. So we talked about the new 2018 Aero kit getting ready for the Indianapolis 500. Uh, I think this new Aero kit will create a very exciting and thrilling Indianapolis 500. Question is, though, with the rear wheels exposed again, will that scare drivers away from being able to make runs on other cars or try to complete passes, and will that 
hurt the vacuum of pulling a car up to another car. That's the only questions I have with it. I don't think we're going to see the 60 to 70 lead changes we've seen in years past, but I think we still could possibly get to 30 like we did uh, just before we got the new cars. It's not going to be as many lead changes, but I think we'll still see a decent amount. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, so certainly uh, as we uh, round up this segment here before we uh, I have to uh, go into our NASCAR segment, but talk with us a little bit about some of the challenges that we see at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, both on the oval and the road course, and what are some of the things that the, the teams are doing to get ready for these challenges? We still could see a quicker uh, run in ovals, but I think right now the possibility of maybe getting the 231, 232 is back at play again. If you saw the information on IndyCar.com. They have diamond grinded the track again. They got rid of uh, several significant bumps that were complaints to the drivers and may have been, especially in turn two, where we saw cars skimming and hitting the wall during qualifying. Uh, So I think that will make things a little easier on the drivers, make them more willing to be a little more aggressive, keep the foot down as opposed to lifting it slightly. And I think uh, you look at the road course, Obviously, getting through those tighter chicanes, especially the tight one at the end of the front straight on lap one, is always going to be a key. If you could survive that, uh, you're always in a good position. And then, obviously, getting through the quick chicane flat out and on the Holman Boulevard to set up another passing opportunity. So there are places where you can gain time, but there are certainly a lot of places where you can lose time on that road course. And whoever gets through those areas the best, I think, is going to have an enormous advantage uh, possibly being able to add their name to the trophy. And like I said, uh, we could be talking a three-peat for either Will Power or Simon Pagano uh, coming up this w- next weekend. At least based on what I see with Penske starting to regain its footing, I think it's going to be a Penske driver uh, possibly winning uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix. Now, will a Penske driver win the Indy 500? Don't know, but I'd say for the IndyCar Grand Prix, they've got a very much better chance to win that one than the Indy 500. Absolutely. Well, it'll be here before we know it. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the uh, Indianapolis Mini Marathon has uh, gone uh, and started. I think we've got some winners. Uh, Rick, do you have any information on that? I'm sorry. Uh, what was you wanting? I'm trying to. <laughs> I was just wondering. I'm trying to research something for the next segment. I want you to pay attention to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was what just you wondering need? if you saw any. I was just wondering if you saw any winners uh, for the Indy uh, Mini Mini Marathon. Oh no, I wasn't. I was supposed to look for him. <laughs> oh no problem, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Go back to work, sir. Go back to work, sir. Go back to work. Uh, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll check in on that and try to try to see if we could get some information. We'll certainly get it posted up on uh, social media as well. So. Uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, joins us, and we're talking IndyCar. Obviously, the month of May is here. We've got the Indianapolis Grand Prix next week. We'll be out there at the track uh, covering uh, there for the Balance Speedway Digest. Of course, uh, Matt will be doing it for a popular open wheel. And so we're going to have a lot of fun out there at the track every year, uh, but uh, certainly uh, an exciting time. So, Matt, Matt, uh, talk with us. Give us some final uh, pinpoints for uh, the IndyCar race. IndyCar Grand Prix, like I said, I think the Peskies are the ones to beat right now. You could possibly see a challenge from Rossi, maybe, from Andretti Autosport, and possibly the two Schmidt cars. But uh, if you're looking for a potential winner, uh, Petsky with maybe even Elio Castadevers. We don't know what Elio Castadevers could provide for the IndyCar Grand Prix, but he could surprise us there as well. But you look uh, ahead to Indy right now for the 500. I think it's a more equal playing field than what we thought we were going to get, which is always a good thing. And uh, obviously it's 
disappointing that uh, the grandson of Emerson Fittipaldi is not going to be running this year. We obviously wish him well, and hopefully the surgery went successful on the legs, but uh, I think it's going to be a while before we see him behind the wheel uh, in an Indy car, um, very much like uh, what we had with uh, Sebastian Bourdais, if not worse. Absolutely, and it's, uh, you know, it's always I got your list of winners right here if you want it. <laughs> we do want it. Go, go ahead, Rick. Uh, you're on, buddy. So how, how far do you want to go back? Uh, just uh, just the top ones is fine. Whatever. It, I know there's there's different segments, so uh, whatever you, you deem appropriate, oh, sir. I don't know about the uh, different segments here. I didn't know there was an Annapolis Marathon, honestly, until you were just talking about <laughs> earlier. I'm all the way down here in no man's land, Evansville, Indiana, three hours away from Indianapolis. <laughs> You know, we get shunned by the rest of the state because they put us on central time, which is awesome. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, in the, uh, you're in the other uh, part of the state. Uh, right. Well, yeah, just whatever you got. Just whatever you got there is fine. Just read off what you got fine. Well, I don't know why this uh, starts from 2015 because I'm assuming, you know, you had a marathon last year, right? Didn't you? Last two years? Yes. Yeah, All I was right. really talking more about just the winners for today. Oh, all right, I thought she was wanting to win a uh, uh, list of past winners. All right, disregard. <laughs> See, this is why you guys abort. suck us down this bottom corner of the state. So, <laughs> abort, abort, All right. abort. All right, no, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. I will Quick say though, there's one thing I need to check with my buddy Donald Davidson. In fact, I may need to call into his talk of gasoline alley today or tomorrow. I took a look back at some of the old archives as far as odd engines and. There is a rumor claiming that Roger Rager's 1980 uh, Challenger that qualified 10th was had an engine that was taken from a junkyard and taken from an old school bus engine. I need to look into that, see if that's true or not. I think Donald would obviously give me the answer to that, but uh, that almost seems too good to be true for me. I have not heard that, but uh, you're right. That seems like a like a good fact to to know. Donald Davidson is certainly would be the guy to go to and the guy to know to be in the know with that. We've been talking with Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel Now. We've got just a couple more minutes left in the segment here, and we, we get ready to go into our, our NASCAR segment. Uh, Matthew, as we put together our, our list of what I call legend drivers, uh, the legend, or let's say the family drivers, the Foyts, uh, the Fittipaldis, as we talked about, do, we, do you think that we will see a legend driver in Victory Lane this year, perhaps maybe for it. The best chance I have right now is probably Marco Andretti, based on that he's shown more competitive than he has in recent years coming into Indy, considering he's, you know, getting finishes a 12th or better in all four events so far. If he gets another one at the IndyCar Grand Prix, I think there is a reason to believe I have him like the second out from making the shootout, which obviously he could make it in. But I think you look at the other ones right now. The Foyt team, yeah, Kanan's there, but I still think it's a long shot for Kanan. And uh, obviously, Fittipaldi's out of play now, unfortunately. But uh, who knows? Maybe I know the fans would love to see Marco win it, but uh, it's going to be tough, especially when he's got a challenge uh, from five teammates that have the same car and maybe better on paper than Marco is, especially if you're talking about like a Munoz, a Hunter Ray, or an Alexander Rossi. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we'll certainly see what, what happens. Matthew Embry of Popular Open Will Now. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? 
PopTheRopeWheel.com. Uh, we have stuff on there. Also, check out Popular Speed uh, in addition to Speedway Digest. We have a lot of stuff going on with uh, the Dover coverage right now. Uh, Ashley McCubbin's got a few interesting things, uh, possible driver interviews that may be up on our Popular Open Wheel site next week as well. So we'll still have content, but, uh, yeah, we're getting uh, very eager uh, for the action uh, coming up uh, this weekend, so much so that I may make a little extra trip down tomorrow uh, to look at, check around the speedway a little bit uh, before I make my first appearance in actual in Fast Friday. Well, there you go. We'll look forward to uh, hooking up with you here in Indianapolis. Uh, Matthew Embry from PopularOpenWheel.com. Appreciate you joining us, sir. Uh, and uh, we'll talk with you again soon, sir. Anytime, Tom. Thank you. Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel Now joins us in, in talking with us about IndyCar. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling! 
Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente. Thank you to Matthew Embry in our first half hour talking IndyCar. Obviously, uh, we have got the month of May kicked off here in Indianapolis. Uh, next weekend is the Indianapolis Grand Prix as we get geared up for the Indianapolis 500. But to join us now uh, to bring us into our NASCAR segment is uh, the one, the only, Steve Wilson, editor and publisher of Speedway Digest. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good today. How about yourself? Good, good. We're ready to go racing in Dover? I hope so. Hopefully the rain stays out of the way. I'm just across the bay from Dover, Delaware, on the Chesapeake Bay here in Virginia, and uh, it's a little cloudy, but there's no rain. Um, unfortunately, for tomorrow, that may change, even though that today's schedule has been moved up due to weather. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, hey, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today, uh, Steve. And I don't know if Rick is back on the mic or not. Mike, Rick, are you back on the mic? I don't think he is. Okay, so what I have got to do is, unfortunately, I have got a counter uh, things going on. So I have to be multi- uh, multitasking. So I'm going to kind of let you lead the, the, the segment on here. And if you could just talk for about five or minutes or so, five or ten minutes about whatever you need to about NASCAR, and then we'll be back in our normal uh, uh, flow of things. So go ahead, uh, Steve. The mic is all yours, buddy. <laughs> You're giving me control of the show? Oh, Lord. Oh, man. You got it, buddy. You got it. I don't know if that's, yeah, know. You got I don't know if that's uh, there. All right, all right. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go ahead and roll through a whole bunch of things that we've got going on this past week. Uh, in Last weekend in Talladega, Alabama, the biggest, baddest track on the racetrack uh, on the circuit, uh, Spencer Gallagher in the NASCAR Xfinity Series picked up his first win. However, earlier this week on Tuesday, NASCAR announced that Spencer Gallagher had failed a drug mandatory drug test that drivers and crew and all the people working in the garage are are subject to. Uh, NASCAR did not tell us exactly what it was that he he uh, failed on the drug test for, or when the drug test uh, was taken. But earlier this week, he was suspended uh, indefinitely from NASCAR competition until he completes NASCAR's road to recovery, which is their system in place to uh, get you back either in the car or working in the garage. And earlier, just about a day later or so after that, they announced at GMS Racing that the number 23 car this weekend would be filled by a GM. GM Racing Stable driver Johnny Sauter that in the truck series that won yesterday or last night uh, will fill that seat today. Uh, next week there's going to be a little bit of a change up in that. There's going to be some testing on Monday 
at Charlotte. They've got another driver scheduled for that, but the fourth going from there, there is no, uh, there will be no drivers announced until next weekend for that number 23 car. Aside from that, NASCAR today, as I kind of alluded to, there's some weather potentially in the area of Dover, Delaware, where uh, NASCAR has moved up all of today's uh, schedule, which is uh, making it a little bit hectic for people at 8 o'clock this morning. There was practice. NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying is going off right now, actually. Uh, They've got three rounds for that to be immediately followed with another short practice. And at 1230 today will be uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series 1 Main Financial 200 uh, from Dover, Delaware. Uh, They're trying to get everything in today due to the potential threat of weather. However, qualifying yesterday was, um, you know, they they were able to get qualifying in yesterday for tomorrow's AAA uh, Drive for Autism 400. And we've got some, you know, of the usual suspects back up front again. Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. And talking about Martin Truex Jr. here in the month of May, uh, he he he's a driver that I, that we're coming up to a lot of different tracks on circuit. Not only Dover tomorrow, but we're going to go to Kansas, and then we're going to go to uh, Charlotte for the Coca-Cola 600 and the All-Star Race. These are all tracks in which uh, Martin Truex Jr. does very, very well. So while he may have been on a slump over here over the last few weeks or so, this is where his time to shine at is when he gets back to these 1.5-mile racetracks. In fact, just a couple of years ago at Charlotte, Martin Truex Jr. in the Coca-Cola 600 led not only the most amounts in history, of that race, but the most miles in that race. Uh, There was 396 laps of that event that he led from green to checkered. And, uh, you know, you you look at some of those stats and these 1.5-mile tracks coming up, Kansas next week, which uh, he's won at that one too before. Excuse me. Um, so the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, I know I'm going a little bit all over the place, but the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series was in action last night from Dover, Delaware, 200 laps for those guys. A little bit of fireworks there at the end with with Gregson and Sauter going through the lead. You there? Yeah, I'm back. I tell you what, I, I'm still on hold with my call. Uh, Rick is going to uh, run the, the show for also as well, but you're doing a great job, Steve, is talking on NASCAR with us. I hope to be back with you here in just a few moments, but go ahead, Rick, and uh, uh, Steve, go ahead, buddy. Okay. Uh, yeah, last night uh, with uh, Johnny Sauter and Gregerson going at it for the lead, and a little bit of fireworks erupted when uh, Gregson pinched off Sauter there in the closing laps. Uh, Sauter was able to regather that thing up and go back again after Gregson. Unfortunately, that, that battle and those fireworks then erupted some more with uh, Gregson pinching up just a little bit into the track yet again, trying to choke off Johnny Sauter from uh, getting the race lead. Unfortunately, that ended his day. Uh, with just a handful of laps, two or three laps to go. Uh, he he wrecked out of the event, said that it was 100% his fault, didn't mean to race Johnny Sauter that way, and uh, took full responsibility for that incident last night 
at Dover, Delaware. Um, Rick, you there? Any questions for me? Or you want me to keep uh, going? I'm here. You can keep going, buddy. The segment is all yours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, no, you're doing great. I'll get up. Yeah, the, the uh, thing well, is, I, I, I always catch the last five minutes of you every week, and uh, I, I, I've learned more about NASCAR catching the last five minutes of your segment every week. Cause I always come on during football season, uh, you know, so I call in like five minutes early and always catch the uh, the tail end of your segment. I learn more about NASCAR in the five minutes I hear you every week than I than I have just you know uh, watching it and following it following uh, NASCAR like I used to. So. Uh, it, it's always great info hearing you talk about NASCAR. It's always stuff that I never thought of, or, or, or you know, I don't really follow NASCAR myself. You know, I, you know, sorry to say that because you know, I'm the executive producer of the show here. But uh, when Tom said he had to step away, I was like, uh, what am I going to ask Steve Wilson about NASCAR? So I don't really follow it. But uh, I just want to let you know that, yeah, I, I've learned more about it just listening to you these last five minutes of of the show every week when I would come on at nine o'clock my time anyway. And, uh, so I'm just letting you know that it's great to have you. Uh, the segment is all yours today, buddy. Oh, all right. Then. Well, I guess I'll continue <laughs> on to, uh, yes, sir. you know, preview a little bit today of Dover. Uh, you know, another, we've got the one main financial, like I said, we're coming up here at, uh, qualifiers already underway for today's one main financial 200 there at Dover. Uh, at 12:30, we will have the race that's been moved up from 1:30 today to 12:30 today. They're trying to escape some of the pot- uh, potential weather coming through the Dover, Delaware area. With uh, today's race, it will just be a continuation, I believe, of yesterday. We saw a lot of side-by-side racing, but you know, at the same time, these concrete race tracks have a propensity to tear up some of these tires just a little bit. And yesterday, we, with the mayhem between Gregerson and Sauter, has the potential to happen yet again. There, we saw some very good side-by-side racing uh, all around the racetrack, just not just for the lead, but throughout the field. In fact, we saw some drivers, Jesse Little, who uh, had an incident on Pitt Road. He did lead for a portion of the race yesterday and was able to get his lap back was able to come back through the field and actually post a nice top 10 finish yesterday from, uh, you know, his uh, late race uh, incident or penalty there on pit road. So that kind of gives you a clue as to how some of this uh, race will go today. Uh, new tires are definitely going to be key. They're going to be key every time that they're going to come in, but they're not really going to come in that often because the fuel uh, the fuel windows on these events at this one mile racetrack are very, very long. I mean, you can get uh, a good 80 to uh, 90 plus laps out of these uh, tires and fuel runs. So you're going to, uh, you're going to only be coming down, but a handful of times. And that's where these stage breaks are really going to come into key for this. Uh, And if, you know, if some mayhem happens to occur, we've seen mayhem, especially off of turn two, because turn two seems to, seems to close up very, very quickly. You see a lot of drivers out out there trying to run two and three wide uh, through that corner. And uh, that's typically where we see a lot of these incidents occur at. And because Dover is a high banked concrete track, it kind of self cleans itself with, uh, with these incidences that, up high and you know a couple cars get in get in with one another and they kind of just all fly back down to the bottom which is really just 
it can can be an issue for for other drivers coming through because they do run fairly fast. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that we can talk about this week. Um, I bet I bet uh, yeah, Thomas back. So I'm, I'm back now. I, I I've come to save the day. Oh man, I had a couple things happen here at the house that I was not expecting uh, to, and I have my uh, just uh, I have uh, a guy here who needed to use the outside water spigot, but I had it turned off because it's winter time, so I had to go down to the basement and turn it on, and so it's all worked out now. Life got, got in the way there for a second, guys. I'm just I happy I got to break in and talk to Steve Wilson for a change. I'm just happy about hey, that. there you go. You have elevated yourself. the uh, number to call in and talk to Steve Wilson right now. So call in, give him your NASCAR thoughts and questions. Uh, we gratefully appreciate it. Absolutely, and Rick, I appreciate it, and uh, Rick has elevated himself to a whole new presence in the show. He now gets to talk to Steve Wilson. Not everybody gets to talk to Steve Wilson. <laughs> but, but, but Steve, uh, so uh, you know what we've, we're seeing here this week is certainly the last race for Danica Patrick completely. You know, we, we, we've made a lot of jokes about her here on this show, but at the same point, I think she's made a big impact as far as Women in racing goes, but she will never be remembered as a as a racer that ever won. Now, I don't really think she'll be able to win at Indianapolis. But at the same point, why do you think that it has been such a struggle for Danica Patrick to win a race, a race, any race? You know, I, I think it's kind of a little bit twofold in the fact that Danica Patrick kind of came up through the ranks, and she came up through the ranks with, with a lot of marketing and a lot of money that supported her throughout throughout her, her career. However, she never seemed to really stick with one thing over the other. She jumped out of IndyCar after a relatively short career, uh, not really having accomplished much except for one, you know, race win under, you know, a weather condition out in um, Japan uh, many years ago. And she came over into NASCAR, but when she came into NASCAR, she didn't really follow the traditional route into NASCAR where you start at some of the lower uh, series and then work your way up. I mean, she did run a couple NASCAR Canon event series she did run some ARCA to get her, her super speedway license under NASCAR, but she didn't really follow what would be a program to bring her up. It was She was almost immediately thrown into a NASCAR Monster Energy uh, car, and, you know, she not really having the time to, to get used to these cars and not really having the time to adjust from running open wheel into stock cars. And while this, I think a lot of it was driven by the money, it was driven by the marketing, and it wasn't, I don't think, you know, a hundred, you know, I, I think we can place some blame in a lot of different areas, but, you know, I think it really just came down to the fact GoDaddy wanted somebody in the top tier series of NASCAR as fast as they could get them there, I don't think they really cared if it was Danica Patrick or somebody else. They just wanted somebody in that top-tier series, somebody that was marketable to them. And, you know, whether they failed or whether they flourished, it was just they could get that marketing engine behind not only their company but whatever driver that they decided to push up there. And I think that hurt her career in a lot of aspects that 
She really should have run K&N. She really should have run trucks. She really should have run Xfinity at a more, you know, more than she did. I'm sure she came in and she ran Xfinity for about a year, but then she uh, ran right up into the Cup Series, and we don't see that today. We didn't see that 10 years ago. We didn't see that 20 years ago. I think there's a lot of it was just a marketing effort behind her and, uh, you know, GoDaddy and others to try and push somebody into that series as fast as possible. And that kind of doomed some failure in some regards. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's she did a lot for the sport as far as women in racing. And, and, and I get that and I understand that. But it would be special. We'll just throw it out there because it could happen because she'll be in the uh, the field of 33 uh, at the Indianapolis 500. Could she win? Yes. Will she win? Very, very unlikely and very, very doubtful. But if she was to win the biggest race in the world in her final race, that would really uh, paint a legacy for her, that's uh, for sure. Let's talk a little. We didn't get a ta- chance to talk about it too much last week. Uh, we kind of touched on it. But NASCAR has bought or took over, if you will, the ARCA series. Talk with us a little bit about how that came about, why it came about, and what it means to NASCAR, and how are they going to facilitate this in the aspect that it still is separate but yet maintained and operated by NASCAR? Well, in the immediate short term, there's not going to be any changes. There's really just going to be no reflection to either series other than this announcement. Going forward over the next 18-plus months or so, uh, NASCAR is going to have the opportunity to look at different ways that they can integrate the two series into their lower tier. Uh, ARCA Racing has traditionally been a uh, series that honed driver skills, got them ready to come over to NASCAR. NASCAR drivers have used that series in order to, like I just said with Danica Patrick, to get their super speedway license in order to run either the truck series or the NASCAR Xfinity series. So for NASCAR, it's an opportunity to now have, you know, you know, the, the NBA has multiple uh, minor leagues. Mo- uh, Major League Baseball has that minor league system. Sure, I guess you consider the K&N kind of that minor league system, but now you get a, a full-on system that can integrate, uh, you know, smaller cars to starting to get to heavier cars and the trucks and the Xfinity, and, and that really will help driver skills. What NASCAR is really going to have to figure out is, is that over the past number of years, decade or plus, the NASCAR Canyon Series drivers, and they have gone over to ARCA, and they flip-flopped back and forth to get as much seat time in as possible. Canyon goes to these really small, short tracks, half-mile uh, three eights, things like that. But the ARCA series goes to bigger tracks, mile tracks, two and a half mile tracks, etc. And for NASCAR, they're going to have to figure a way to, I think, blend the series together in the aspect of a common car because it is very expensive for these drivers that are coming up in their career to have to build a K&N series car and then have to build an ARCA series car so that they can get as much seat time in. 
And I think this is the opportunity where they can build that common template car. They can build that common engine and bring that engine because uh, a few years ago, uh, Arca went to Ilmore Engineering and asked them to build a sealed engine that could be used through multiple events. And for them, they can, NASCAR can take some of those ideas, and they did take those ideas, and you have the opportunity to run that engine now in the Camping World Truck Series. But I think the K&N Series, if they can build one car, they can take the, either a K&N event or an ARCA Series event. That's only going to just increase the car counts on both sides, but that's going to help the drivers at the end of the day. So these are things that NASCAR is going to have to figure out is how to blend these two series together. What is the greatest opportunity for the two drivers? And to take these things that ARCA may have been doing or k and have been doing over the last couple of years and blend them together somehow. Take all the good ideas and put them together in one common template and one common package that no matter whether you go to one of these events or the other, while the cars may look the same, the, the racing may be totally different, but it also helps the drivers out at the same time. We've been talking with Steve Wilson, editor and publisher of uh, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, certainly, uh, as, as we uh, come to the end of our segment here, we want to talk a little bit more about Dover. And I'm, if I'm asking you a repetitive question that you've already asked, uh, said, I do apologize. But talk with us about uh, Dover, the track about Dover, and certainly who do we look for to, to be the dark horse there, maybe the X's and O's, and the drivers that can really uh, – uh, help their season along uh, greatly inside of Dover? Well, I think there's somebody's, somebody's season that can really turn around tomorrow afternoon is Jimmy Johnson. He's won 11 times there over his career. Jimmy, has, as you know, has not been at the top of the game this year. He's not been somebody we've talked about on a weekly basis or even every other weekly basis. He's uh, very stuck, very far down the points line. Uh, he could potentially not even get into the chase if this continues. Uh, but we got a long ways before we even start talking about those things. But this weekend, he's definitely somebody that you have to take a look at. Again, Martin Truex Jr., the month of May, all these styles of racetracks we're going to run through between uh, Dover tomorrow, Kansas next week, and then two weeks there in Charlotte with the All-Star and the Coke 600. Uh, all of these are tracks he's done very, very well at. He's won at these tracks uh, in the past. So he's somebody that I can think will start tacking up some more wins here in the month of May. Uh, as far as some of these dark horses out there, um, I, I think he's, you've got to look at Joe Logano yet again. Uh, he's done fairly well. Um, I think we can maybe even start looking down the chain at some of these rookie drivers like uh, William Byron or Alex Bowman. And they they have opportunities this weekend to come up and uh, take uh, you know take some points away and potentially get themselves locked in later on this year. Um, you know, Dover, as I kind of already explained, is you know it, you can get into trouble very fast and in a hurry because they're turning laps around that thing in uh, twenty plus odd seconds or so. And with it closing up there on the back stretch, uh, the back stretch uh, not as wide as the turns and the front stretch, uh, you can really just get into somebody else's trouble very, very fast, especially as fast as they're driving around there, as slow as they're running those grooves around the racetrack. 
because you can't see all the way around the turns there at Dover. So by the time you get up out of, you know, turn one, two, you're already in somebody else's incident. So they got to be really careful tomorrow. And, you know, with these long fuel runs, these long tire runs that, you know, tire wear um, is, is a concern, but it's not a concern where they're going to have to come in before, you know, the end of that, you know, first stage. And they may be able to push it, uh, especially, you know, um, know if this thing goes green flag real long um you know those are all kinds of concerns but i think we've also got the kyle larson's out there don't forget about him he likes running these high lines around these tracks like bristol and like dover so uh he's starting on the pole tomorrow uh, look out for him at the same time you know last week it was fun to see the uh, cup drivers uh behind the mic uh, in the taking over the uh, broadcast boost if you if you were uh, I believe they were even on MRN. I think I heard Ricky Steinhouse Jr. on MRN, but I could be wrong about that. But I certainly heard, saw them and heard them on the television broadcast. And I say that because we also saw Dell Jr. do that. We also saw Jeff Gordon do that. Um, did we see anybody perhaps uh, last weekend give an audition for what might be to come in their career? Um, definitely Kevin Harvick. I think Kevin Harvick, when he steps out in this car, Everybody has said arguably that he is probably somebody that we should begin to look at further down his career in the next five to seven years or so to make a transition to working in the booth or working on the broadcast in some way, shape, or form. He's done a very good job. He's done a very good job in each and every series that he's been a part of. Uh, he's uh, very knowledgeable. He's a, cha- a champion in the sport. Uh, he he has a business behind him that can help accelerate and uh, help prepare him as he's done with others that are currently on various broadcasts. So I think for him, uh, it's not so much of a, an audition anymore than it is uh, a preparation of making that transition from the car to the the booth at some point within the next, I would say, handful or so years. So you think he'll be with us for another couple of years. What about Jimmy Johnson? Uh, I think once Jimmy Johnson is done, I think he will uh, may show back up in the sport in various different capacities, but I don't foresee him as somebody that we'll see behind the camera each and every week. Uh, or even on a uh, you know a fairly frequent basis, I think he'll be around the sport in capacity, just like uh, you know Jeff Gordon has a capacity over at Hendrick Motors, part of that succession plan. I think you could see Jimmy Johnson as part of that succession plan, but just not somebody we're going to see on a frequent basis on broadcast television. Well, we know Danica Patrick's career is ending at the at the end of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, a lot of people will say that she's going to do her own uh, brand stuff. She's got her wine. She's got her uh, uh, yoga stuff, health stuff that she does. Uh, where, do we see Danica be completely away from racing? Do we see her go into ownership with maybe uh, Stuart Haas? Do we see her going into ownership by herself? Uh, I don't. I think that would be quite a leap, but it wouldn't be quite a leap for her to join forces with somebody like Stuart Haas. 
I'm not thinking you're not going to see her with a Stuart Haas. You may not even see her back in NASCAR in any real official capacity at all. I think what you may see is is that you may see her brand or the brands that she is marketing or been working on over the last several years may make an introduction in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, IndyCar, it's, uh, you know, remains to be seen on how that may happen out or, or over there. But as far as her, I think that she has now moved past the motorsports part of her career. And like a, a lot of other drivers, uh, a lot of other team owners, former team owners and, uh, you know, sponsors and things like that, uh, they go on to do something else. They make the occasional appearance uh, when somebody requests them, but they're not somebody that hangs around sport and just hangs on forever and ever and ever. Um, I think it, she will make those appearances because she can, uh, you know, drive uh, crowds and can drive fans, and she definitely has that marketable ability, but she's just not, I don't think, is going to be that person that hangs on or attempts to hang on forever. When talking with Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor from uh, SpeedwayDigest.com, uh, who, uh, who has uh, graciously uh, helped us out uh, through this segment as, as we got side, uh, sidetracked a little bit, but that happens uh, from time to time. We'll be covering uh, the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Grand Prix next weekend for Speedway Digest. But, uh, Steve, any thoughts that you have on the IndyCar month of May? I think it's exciting that we're back here already again. A lot of racing is going to go on very, very quickly over the next month, especially out in Indiana. Uh, you got, you guys got USAC, you've got Arker, you've got IndyCar. I mean, you've got uh, everything coming up in, in, the, in the next few weeks. We do love racing in Indiana, that is for sure. There's racing and there's basketball, and we got some really big basketball news to talk about coming up. Myself and executive producer Rick Riggin uh, probably will be uh, flying the ship solo for the next half hour before Mo for the BS Sports Show joins us. And we're talking about the Kentucky Derby. Any money on the ponies today, Steve? No, I don't have any money on it, but uh, as my wife says, it's the greatest race that she'll ever watch. Uh, it's two minutes, two minutes and 15 seconds of uh, racing, and uh, she's good with it because of the short extension uh, attention span sometimes, but uh, uh, she loves that <laughs> type of racing. <laughs> well, the, the thing about it, it might be a three-minute race, but it takes six hours to get ready for that race <laughs> with all the free races yeah. and all the, the television coverage and so forth. Certainly, it's the Super Bowl of horse racing. Steve uh, Wilson of Speedway Digest, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. Uh, I don't have anybody at the racetrack this weekend, but next week uh, our senior editor, uh, Brett Whittingham, will be at Kansas for the two uh, night races, Friday and Saturday night. There you go. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Have yourself a good race weekend. We'll be talking with you again soon, sir. Thanks. You too. Take care. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Rick Riggin, our executive producer, is going to be joining us here in just a moment behind the break. I'm still here. And, uh, <laughs> you're still here. All right. Romeo, Romeo, where for art thou? We will uh, answer that coming back right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs> 
told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance, one hour in the books. Uh, thanks to Matthew Embry, uh, popular open wheel now, breaking down IndyCar, the Indianapolis Grand Prix, the Indy, Indy 500, and uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest uh, jumping on for a NASCAR segment, breaking down NASCAR, Dover and NASCAR. Now we get to some real neat meat of the show, if you will. Romeo, Romeo, oh, Romeo, wherefore out thou? Rick, do we have an answer? We do have an answer. It is, wait for it, as we found out this week in the biggest news colossal and the biggest uh, to-do about something, maybe, but I don't know. I think 
I think the the lead up to the announcement is go, was longer than what his college career is going to be. Indiana University, he picks Romeo Langford goes to Indiana University. Rick, what say you? Uh, for me, it's not really about how successful the program is going to be this coming season. It's really more about the the, the future of IU because uh, and as. Uh, and Archie Miller's legacy, basically, that he's uh, building at IU. What, what this speaks uh, uh, more about that than it is just going to be wins on the court this, this season. Because uh, what this says now is Archie Miller can recruit, and also it's okay for five-star uh, all, you know, All-American athletes and uh, McDonald's All-Americans to come to IU. So for me, that's much more of a bigger deal you know, for, for the future of IU than just uh, the wins they're going to have on the court this season. Absolutely, and uh, Rick, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you break down Romeo Langford uh, as pick at IU and college basketball, what it means to college basketball for the next few minutes, as I am still happy to multitask, so give me about five or ten minutes and then I'll be back, but it is all you, you sir, for the next five minutes or so, talk with us about uh, Romeo Tom, there's Langford. no way I, I could just talk about Romeo Langford. And it went long-winded thing you know we're like for, for five you, minutes solid. You, you, <laughs> you talk about you talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you want to talk about oh. your ribs, that's fine. I just need about five minutes because it was unplanned, and that those things happen, <laughs> and I've got to take care of that. So get and I, I will off mic. I'll give you the scoop on everything, uh, but uh, just uh, talk about anything. Just make sure we don't have dead air for the next ten minutes. You got one job, buddy. One job. Oh, now, now, now it's 10 minutes, and when it was just five minutes. <laughs> five minutes, okay, five minutes, all right. Give me, give me just a few. I'll be right back. All right, so anyway, how this all started with Romeo is uh, it's really started with the, with the downfall of Louisville, Louisville basketball, Rick Pitino and the, uh, the escort services and everything that was going on at the University of Louisville because I fully believe that Romeo uh, was more likely, I would say 98%, going to Louisville being uh, right there in New Albany, Indiana, and Louisville's right across the river. I would say uh, he was all in on Louisville, and, and IU wasn't even on the radar for Romeo, even though uh, same state but different head coach and maybe a different recruiting tactic and tactics and a different what style of playing basketball IU under Tom Green. But I don't even think Romeo was on uh, – or I, IU was on Romeo's radar uh, – but then the whole thing happened with uh, Louisville and Rick Pitino being fired. And so he kind of had to reopen his uh, recruitment a bit and take some, uh, take a look at other schools and oppor- other opportunities. Uh, then Archie Miller comes in to IU and, uh, you know, he laid it out, you know, the first time we saw Archie Miller uh, on an IU podium was him saying he's going to build a fence basically around the state of Indiana and keep our uh, and go after our uh, our recruits here, and that uh, that whole statement was just geared towards uh, Romeo Langford and keeping him here in Indiana. Uh, he made Romeo his top priority. Uh, he he worked on that uh, all season long. I mean, and I even think IU did bad uh, this uh, college basketball season this past season, considering uh, the changes they went through, the guys they lost uh, was you know getting rid of Tom Crean and some of these guys heading off to the NBA early, like uh, Thomas Bryant, OG Ananobi, you know, leaving early. Uh, we still had those guys this this past season. I mean, who knows what IU would have done, but 
you know, big transition period and going 16 and 15 on the season was, uh, I think that was a hell of a job really by Archie Miller. Uh, and, and then keeping Romeo Langford as top priority through all this and uh, not just being so terrible really on the court that maybe Romeo would not consider IU anymore. But it came down to uh, IU, Kansas, and Vanderbilt. And uh, I don't think anybody was really worried about the University of Kansas uh, stealing Romeo from Indiana because as we talked to Kent Sterling on the show a few weeks ago, uh, he was right. Uh, Romeo would just be another five-star recruit for the University of Kansas. Maybe a one-and-done. I mean, we all think he's going to be a one-and-done, but who really knows? But he was right. He would just spend another uh, McDonald's All-American for the University of Kansas. And uh, that's right why that. Kansas. All right, good. How long now, see, was I, was in the, I was in the middle of my whole spill, and now you just interrupted right me. Here, go, yeah, go away from there right five minutes. Now go ahead. All right, go ahead. Well, anyway, I'll I'll just, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you know how we were talking about with Kent Sterling a few weeks ago, how Romeo would have just been another five-star recruit for the University of Kansas, and uh, I, I I do agree with that, and that's why Kansas really wasn't a, a threat in my books uh, for Romeo to, to, for Romeo to pick Kansas. And the thing with Vanderbilt, you know, his uh, his best friend went to Vanderbilt, committed to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's Close, close to home, close to New Albany. Uh, Nashville's probably about two and a half hours away from New Albany. So that's pretty close. So, And with uh, what Bryce Drew's building down at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt actually was a, a, a legitimate threat for landing Romeo Lankford. But Archie Miller did a wonderful job uh, having a winning record this season, 16-15, and 15, and keeping uh, Romeo Lankford's top priority, both things, in season one. So... For me, that speaks to the program. Uh, what Archie Miller's doing in Indiana and the longevity of it, uh, you know, this he ain't going to be there for just three or four years. He's This is uh, probably going to give him a, a long career at IU if he chooses to stay. And uh, so for me, this whole thing speaks more about uh, IU down the road, the future of IU basketball, as opposed to uh, just this one season right here. Tom, back to you. You know, and I – <laughs> you know, and I totally 100% agree with you. Thanks uh, uh, for being my co-pilot there, Rick. Uh, that's uh, one of the perks of the job. But, uh, you know, the, the great thing about it, and you, and you, and you said, it, said it, you nailed it on the head, that Archie Miller can recruit. And here's the thing. He can recruit inside the state of Indiana, and I think that's one thing that Tom Crean, I know we're, we're kind of going Indiana homers. Of course, that's where we're based at. That's kind of right here in our backyard. I'm, a, I'm an IU that. alumni. Well, and it's a national story, too, and it has a lot of national uh, implications. Uh, certainly everybody knows uh, basketball goes uh, simultaneously with Indiana. You mentioned Indiana, you think basketball and racing, for that matter, but you think that Indiana's got a, got a program. We could talk about Notre Dame, and we could talk about uh, Ball State. We could talk about University of Evansville. All good basketball programs inside the state of Indiana. And one of the things that Tom Crean was unable to do successfully on a consistent basis or on a sticky basis is recruit inside the state of Indiana. And I think a lot of people would say he didn't even try. He went, he went and hung out at these, at these uh, AAU uh, camps. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that he tried very hard to recruit 
in, in Indiana. We were kind of going back and forth, me, you, Mo, and a couple other people about, you know, I don't know when the last time that we saw someone that was a five-star, uh, which may, means they're in the top uh, 5% of recruits in the nation, um, or at least certainly in the, in the top 10% in the nation. I don't know that we've seen a five-star recruit and an Indiana Mr. Basketball combined into some one recruit come to IU since Steve Alford. Now, there's other names that we could throw out there, certainly names that we could throw out there that were Mr. Basketball. Maybe we could throw them out there that they were a five-star recruit, but they weren't combined together. And I don't know, Rick, did, you, did we ever find out if there's been anybody since Steve Alford? And I could be wrong. This is an honestly don't know question, but it is a it's just what comes to mind. I don't remember as big of a hype for an IU recruit since Steve Alford in this in this level in this capacity. Let me put it that way. They've had a lot of big recruits. Uh, certainly, you know, Olin Depot. Yes, great, great recruit. Didn't come from Indiana. So what we're talking about is recruits that came from Indiana. You know, the the guy down in in, in uh, Evansville, uh, Calvert Cheney. Uh, wasn't he from Evansville? Yes, Harrison High School. Yeah, yeah, it was Harrison High School. A lot of talk about him. He was a big recruit. I don't think he was an Indiana Mr. Basketball, and I don't think that he was a – he certainly wasn't a five-star recruit. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I don't believe he was a five-star recruit, but I do have the answer to your question. Sure, go right ahead. Uh, well, the answer is Cody Zeller. Was a five-star recruit. Okay. They went Indiana Mr. Basketball and committed to IU. Uh, this 2010. Okay. Uh, I, I know there wasn't no hype about it like like there was for Romeo, but here's the deal: it was two different circumstances. Romeo waited all the way until the uh, the second like recruiting signing period to actually make his choice, where Cody was already committed while still playing, you know, for for Washington. So. It, that helps with the hype some, and then uh, we're talking 2010 as a, uh, to now. You know, eight years ago when social media, there was a lot of social media in 2010, but it just doesn't seem like there is a social media like there like there is now. So that's a two, well, you know, two separate things. Well, the thing about Cody Zeller certainly was a great recruit, and he's he's playing for the Hornets now, I think. Uh, but. Uh, it's certainly a great recruit and was able to graduate going on to bigger and better things in the NBA. The, the thing about it, though, with, with Cody Zeller is he, like you said, committed before the hype. Uh, and there wasn't as big of a drought at that point. There wasn't the, the talk about not being able to recruit inside Indiana. And it wasn't a new coach. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of things going on that are going on now that maybe contributed to, to the hype of now. Who's a better player? Now we'll talk about this. Who's who's going to be better for the IU program? Was it Cody Zeller? Was it Olin Depot? Was it uh, Calvert Cheney? Was it Steve Alford? Is it going to be Romeo Langford? You tell me, who's the most uh, uh, successful standout player that you think contributed most to the program? Well, now we're talking about two different eras of basketball, which kind of is like an unfair question. Uh, you know, I just said that Romeo uh, committing to IU, you know, now gives it kind of gives things the okay for other five stars to commit to IU, and that's great for the program. But if Ruling will get one year of service out, out out of Romeo, I mean, I don't think that's really all that great 
for the program because now you can't build a team off a guy that's only going to be there one year. Uh, so guys well, like Calvert Chaney and Steve Alford and guys that played back then, who stayed even Cody Zeller mm-hmm. stayed three or four years, is better for the program. But Romeo committing uh, is great for the program just because it tells other five stars it's okay and it's a great win for Archie Miller. Well, here's the thing. We're, 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 we're going on assumptions here. I mean, and it's, and it's probably very good assumptions, and it's probably reason to believe that we're right. So we're certainly – I'm just playing the devil's advocate here, but certainly he's not committed to the NBA yet. He's committed to IU. So a lot of things can happen in a year. Certainly we don't expect that he will, not, he will be more than uh, a, a, a one-year rental. And we'll take it, and we'll go on down the road with it. And like you said, it does send a clear signal to other five-star recruits. It's okay to come to Indiana University. But playing the devil's advocate here, he's not committed to the NBA yet, right? Right. Here's the other thing, too. It's it, Now guys like Tom Izzo and, and Thad Mata and these, these other great coaches in the Big Ten are already game-playing for Romeo. So when you go against Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan – in Iowa and Wisconsin, these great Big Ten teams, uh, we don't know how Romeo is going to react to it being double teamed by college athletes as opposed to just here in high school kids here in Indiana. It's a whole different level, mm-hmm. whole different defense. Uh, if, if he comes out and averages eight or nine points a game, even though he's a great player, I mean, is he going to leave for the NBA after one year? Uh, I wouldn't think so. So we just don't know how uh, – how his high school game is going to translate to the college game just yet. And there's other variables, too, like Juwan Morgan. What's Juwan Morgan going to do? Juwan Morgan has declared for the NBA draft, but he didn't hire an agent. That leaves the door open for him to say, nah, I don't want to do the draft. I'll come back to IU for my senior year. You know, that's going to play a, a big factor in into the, the success of IU and the uh, success of Romeo this year, uh, having another guy, a leader on the court. Because if Jawan Morgan leaves, uh, probably going to be the team leader as a freshman. So that's just going to give more Big Ten teams uh, the opportunity to kind of D up on him a bit. And, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what, what the state of the program is going to be here in a couple of months. Because the draft is here in June. So Jawan Morgan has until June 21st to uh, undeclare for the draft, basically. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So we'll, we'll see. The story is still being told, and you know, a lot of things can happen in the next year, and we'll see if he if he does go to the NBA, and and hopefully, uh, you know, I don't know that he's got enough to in for uh, one manner, if you will, to get us into deep into the tournament. But I would think we could at least with him uh, stay alive. Of course, we're talking way too early. We don't know anything about seedings. We don't know anything about records. We don't know anything at this point. We're just talking. But uh, I, I think we could at least see him getting them into the Sweet 16, which is a huge, huge factor. Well, hell, getting them into the tournament in itself will be a huge uh, factor and a huge win for Archie Miller. I think a lot of people came out the gate were kind of disappointed in his first year. Uh, Again, that's Indiana for you. That's Indiana fans. We're a very impatient uh, uh, fan base. Uh, So we certainly want uh, to go back to the days of glory. You know, I I, um, compare Indiana basketball right now. Uh, and our fan base in a lot of ways is, you know, you've got that great model that may have been a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader uh, back in the 1970s and was smoking hot in the 70s. But you look at her in 2018 and uh, not so hot anymore. 
But she still thinks when she looks in the mirror, she still thinks she's that cheerleader from the 1970s. So I think a lot of people in the fan bases still think that we're that uh, dream team. We're that team that Bobby Knight and Steve Alford and, and others had uh, that, that we, we are still that group, and we aren't. The reality is we're, we have grown old and ugly, Rick. Yeah, it's kind of the curse for Notre Dame fans, too. Notre Dame's success was all the way back in the 40s and 50s and then the 70s, and they even got a title in the 80s. But uh, it, it's, that, it's that same curse. You, know, you taste success for so long, and then when you don't have success anymore, uh, but you still think that you're a, a successful program. Well, IU basketball is a, a very successful program. It's one of the elite programs. It, it's one of the blue bloods of college basketball, uh, the, one of the greatest fan bases, probably the best place to watch a game at assembly hall. Uh, so it's not really a curse. Uh, I understand what you're saying uh, as being a Notre Dame fan. I, I think the same way for, for my fighting Irish, you know, all the success they had decades ago, we're still an elite program now. And it is because uh, without IU basketball, college, yeah, without IU college basketball would just be uh, completely uh, different, you know, without the, the success that IU's had because, you know, What's the, what do the Pacers say? Indiana, we grow basketball here. So without out the Hoosiers, uh, it would be a totally different look and feel to college basketball. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. Absolutely. So we'll see what Romeo can do uh, for the Indiana basketball scope. And, you know, we don't know also what's going to happen here in the next year with basketball, not necessarily how it pertains to, to uh, IU or Archie Miller, but just how it pertains to the, the landscape of, of – uh, uh, basketball, you know, we might see a situation here uh, where Tom Izzo is no longer the coach of Michigan State. We might see a situation where Dane Fife won't be the the heir apparent at this point to, which is an IU grad as well, an heir apparent to the the throne at Michigan State because he's part of that group. They might clean house. We don't know what's going to happen with Louisville. We don't know what's going to happen with a lot of teams. A lot of the the scenario with this FBI investigation and the scandals that have come down. One of the things I think what we will see is more of an open uh, transparency between shoe companies and athletes and the NCAA saying, hey, athletes can have a job. You work for Nike, you know, that's – you get a paycheck. We can't control that. We can't control that. College students are allowed to have a job. Uh, So I think you'll be seeing that the NCAA, to save the NCAA – the NCAA is going to have to go in and change some rules. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I don't know for sure. I'll do some more reading on this, but I know they just did a whole investigation and a study and and everything. There's going to be a ruling at some point, at some point. But I just don't know if it's going to be before the season this year. Is uh, college basketball is going to get rid of that one and done thing and make that not you can't be a one and done anymore. You have to do it at least two years, kind of like college football or three years, you have to be at least a junior before you can leave. Uh, I don't know if that's coming out this year or if that's soon down the road or way down the road, but I know that that, that is an issue, getting rid of the uh, the whole one-and-done uh, thing that's going on right now in college basketball. Well, that's certainly a big thing, but that is such a, such a minor group. Of, of people. I don't really care when they go to the NBA. If they want to go, they could go. They want to go, they could go. I mean, I mean, we we don't we don't keep uh, theater uh, majors from uh, going to Hollywood and making a movie when they're still in college. We don't keep uh, musicians. 
from going on to record and make a, a decent living while they're still in college. We don't keep baseball players. Here's what we do with baseball players. If baseball players want to go ahead and go the way the MLB's got it set up, they can get drafted right out of high school. But the thing about it is if, they, if it doesn't work out or for a lot of different reasons, they can go back to college and go to college paid for by the MLB. So, yeah, I agree. The one-and-done thing needs to, to go away. But I don't really care if we have it or don't have it because it doesn't bother me. Other than the fact that we just need a level playing field, we need everybody transparent, we need everybody above board, we don't need these secret dark closet rooms, we don't need strippers. Well, we need strippers. They're very, very well needed in the world, but uh, not just kidding. <laughs> but we, we don't need we don't need them in the uh, we don't need them in college recruiting uh, dormitories. And you know, as we've seen come down, we've seen a lot of things come down that have been shady. Uh, that is the reason why uh, Romeo's at IU. That's what I was talking about. Why you stepped away? So what went down at Louisville? is the reason why Romeo kind of reopened his recruiting and then chose IU because IU wasn't on Romeo's radar at first. I know he's here in the state, and that was a different regime at IU. IU was not on Romeo's uh, radar. I mean, he was 98% committed to Louisville, and then the whole thing with the uh, the escort services, Rick Pitino being fired and everything, uh, you know, now he just did away with Louisville and kind of reopened his recruiting, and that's how he lands at IU. Well, absolutely, and I, I'm glad that he's there. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with him, and we'll we'll see what happens. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back, and hopefully we'll get Mo for the BS Sports Show, talk a little bit more about uh, Romeo, the Kentucky Derby. Obviously, uh, if you got some money on the ponies uh, today, uh, Mo can help you out on that and who to pick and who not to pick. I didn't do any betting on the ponies this year, uh, but I'll probably do it again next year, but uh, that's okay. I never seem to, to do well, and as Matt said, the weather could play a very big factor in that. So we'll talk to Mo about that as well. As of course, uh, as, I, as I mentioned in our opening dialogue, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, well, the Toronto Raptors did what Toronto does. My name is Saul Marcos El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. My name is Tom Marquist, El Presidente. We're down to our final quarter of the of the show. Thank you to Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel, uh, breaking down the Indianapolis Grand Prix and the upcoming uh, Indy 500. That's right, IndyCar is back, and it is the month of May. Talked NASCAR with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest in the last half hour or so. Myself and executive producer Rick Riggins been co-piloting the show, running things, talking with you a little bit about college basketball, and it's certainly the impact that Romeo Langford had on Indiana University. Going to us now is the guy who is the king of all kingdoms, and that is Mo with the BS Sports Show. How are you, sir? Uh, good. That's a, that's a lot to live up to. Maybe maybe like a, a trash <laughs> man or something like that, something like at least cut a hit. He is the king yeah, of Boggle, right. and there is none higher. There we go. There that's we close. go. So, hey, so, Mo, we're going to get into the Kentucky Derby talk here in a minute. Obviously, you're our uh, resident gambling expert. Uh, that's good, bad, or indifferent. You certainly know your way around Vegas. You certainly know your way around betting on the ponies. Uh, and so we'll talk about that today as a lot of people will be placing bets today. Uh, maybe we can help them uh, go through that. But before we get to that, certainly you know about the big news out of uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and that is Romeo Langford commits to Indiana University. Thoughts on the impact he'll make to the program and to the legacy going forward with the Indiana program. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's a big get for uh, for IU, obviously, to keep uh, you know guys in state uh, who are that good and five star recruits is good for the program. Uh, you know, long term, uh, it, it might uh, help uh, IU and Archie Miller bring in some other 
uh, big-time recruits. But obviously, I mean, let's be honest, the likelihood is Romeo Langford's going to be at IU for a semester and a half. I mean, he's probably going to be a one-and-done if he lives up to the hype and how good he was in high school. You know, some guys, it, it takes him two years, but I, I really believe he's not going to be there long. But it's great for IU, great for the program. However, for Archie Miller now, I think one thing that it does is, is it definitely raises the expectations of this program by fans uh, for next year. So, you know, it, it's great for Archie in the way that he got Romeo Langford and kept him in state because I think there would have been some blowback had he not chose IU. But it also has raised the expectations for this team uh, in Archie Miller's second year with the program. Well, absolutely. You make you make a valid point. We were talking about that one and done thing, and how the the uh, NCAA is talking about maybe doing away with that rule. I honestly don't care when they go to the NBA. When they want to go make the money, they can go make the money. I do care about how they go about getting those type of recruits. I do care about that. And certainly, we we talked a little bit about the FBI investigation with that as well. And and you know, you're right. The semester and a half, Rick. You know, we didn't really break it down that far, but if you think about it, uh, Mo's exactly right. A semester and a half uh, of actual classroom uh, work. Uh, uh, Rick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's just what I was saying last segment. It, it speaks more about Archie Miller and uh, the, the state of IU basketball down the road, and not really so much about just this one season. Uh, it you know just makes uh, it okay. It says it's okay to come here if you're a five-star recruit to IU. And that that just speaks to me more loudly. Uh, you know, for the future of IU basketball than it does just for this one season. Uh, Mo, let's talk a little bit about the ponies. We got Kentucky Derby going on day on today. Get your mint juleps ready. Get your hats ready. Uh, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl of horse racing, a two-and-a-half-minute race that takes six hours and some odd to lead up to the actual race. Uh, certainly a lot of betting, a lot of things going on. But when you look at today's uh, – we'll get to the betting part of it here in just a moment. But when you look at today's entrance and you look at the trainers and you look at the horses, uh, break down uh, the Kentucky Derby 2018 for us, sir. Well, I mean, you know, a guy uh, who's been in the winner's circle a lot, uh, and Bob Baffert, uh, who was not there last year uh, – it's got a horse that is the favorite and justify. And for me, if you're looking, you know, if you want the closest thing to a sure thing, obviously in betting, uh, there is no sure thing, but Bob Baffert has done it uh, almost more than anybody. So uh, Bob Baffert trained horses have won a ton when it's come to this race and uh, justify looks strong as well. It opened up at three to one. Uh, now it was the seven to two favorite. Uh, Mendelssohn uh, is uh, looking to become the first European trained horse to win the Kentucky Derby. And then my boy Jack, who was 30 to one uh, this morning on the line, uh, are right behind Justify now uh, at five to one. So, uh, you know, had you put your money on my boy Jack earlier in the week at 30 to one, uh, and now that he's moved up, that uh, that might not be a terrible bet. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of money to be made uh, in these horse races. I've seen guys cash tickets upwards of 250, 300 thousand dollars uh, on this race. I mean, that takes some big boy balls to bet that kind of money to win that. But uh, it, uh, it definitely is definitely fun. Yeah, and so certainly uh, we'll, we'll get into the, the betting part of it. Let's talk about uh, Justify. Justify was clearly the the, the favorite going in uh, this week, if you will, but it uh, doesn't appear that that's the case anymore. Um, talk with us about some of the entries, if you will, sir. Uh, we've got uh, – I just had my list right up there. You made me drop it. I lost it. Oh, where'd it go? Okay. So uh, we'll just kind of go through the uh, the entry list here that we've got here. Uh, uh, good magic. Uh, yeah, it's kind of ranked number six. Uh, 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 gets his first derby. Gets gets his first derby win. I don't really know what that's saying. But uh, good magic. What are your thoughts? 
Uh, you know, it's a horse that uh, has done all right in, in other races. The problem uh, is, is, again, I think there's an intimidation factor, too, when it comes to, to other trainers, owners, and and, uh, and jockeys when it comes to uh, when you have a big name there. Just like, you know, if, if you're uh, the Orlando Magic and the Golden State Warriors come to town, there's a little bit of an intimidation factor because they bring that, you know, that uh, that uh, credentials, those credentials with them. So, I think that, uh, you know, for some of these newer horses and newer trainers and newer owners, that uh, I think there's a little bit of an intimidation factor here when it comes to Justify and Bob Baffert. I mean, he's been the man in horse racing for so long now. I, I think that that's what happens to some of these younger horses and some of these younger jockeys, that uh, there's an intimidation factor. And it seems weird because we're talking about horse racing, but remember that these, uh, these trainers and jockeys are the ones that really have to make this animal perform. Not that there's intimidation on the animal side, but I think it, it does affect uh, the trainers and other jockeys. To me, you know, I'm putting my money on Justify today. And there's times, a lot of times, that the favorites don't win. But Bob Baffert has such a track record. That's one of the things you look for in betting is you try to look for for things for numbers like that, for things that are becoming trends. And, and Bob Baffert winning in a big race is definitely a trend, uh, you know, that's uh, out there that that you can put uh, you can look and put your money up against. I mean, there's there are guys who will sit down and break down every race that's happened this year with these horses. But when it comes to this race, there are not a lot better than Bob Baffert. So, you know, I, I like some of the other horses. Good Magic is at 8-1, to one, so it's both to Oro. Uh, but it, to me, it's just it's it's not a not a, a great bet at that point unless you're putting just a little bit of cash on it. You know, if you're throwing 100 bucks on there to try to turn it in a 10-to-1, not terrible. But if you're looking to put a big bet down, it's hard not to do justify. Uh, we got a horse called Hofberg. H O F B U R G. Hofberg. Hofberg. Yeah, you know that's one that uh, that uh, horses. When it gets to horses that uh, that uh, I've never heard a thing about, I, I'm going to tell you honestly that uh, that uh, I try to stay away from them. Uh, it, it's a guy. Uh, Hofberg's one that lost uh, to the Audible horse uh, earlier this year in the Florida Derby. Um, so. For the pick, it, it's not uh, not a great horse that I'd put a lot of money on. He's already been defeated by some of these horses in this derby. All right, guys. So, so uh, updated updated an hour ago. Just the uh, the odds updated an hour ago. Mendelssohn also has the exact same odds. The uh, favorite uh, uh, as a uh, does Justify. So seven to two odds for Justify and uh, Mendelssohn. Yeah, I mean so, Mendelssohn's a, like I said. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to bring up to you about, and that is the process of betting on ponies. Uh, a lot of – you mentioned some big high-dollar bets, so people's going to have some big kahunas to bet that kind of money. But they are, a lot of those people are professionals. They know what they're doing. A lot of people today are betting just for fun. They're, they're, they're at a racetrack or they're doing it online, and they're, they're plopping down uh, $20 on a win-play show. They really don't know what they're doing. Uh, but uh, So go ahead, uh, finish what you were saying there, Mo. But, yeah, we do want to get your thoughts on uh, how a person should bet. You've got all kinds of different ways that you can bet on a horse. Talk with us about the different ways to bet, what it means, and what you should do, what you should uh, stay clear of. And if you're just doing it for fun, a lot of people say the best way to go is win, play, show. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. So when you first place a bet, your first time uh, betting on the horses, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And, and the biggest thing, and I do this even with, with uh, you know, when I'm in the casino with certain games or, or certain slot machines. If, if you don't know how to win or what you're doing for those other ones, 
don't do it. You know, I've never learned how to play craps, so I don't spend my money on it. Certain of the, you know, there's certain of those, uh, those uh, picture game slot machines. If I can't figure out how I win, I'm not putting my money on it. So it comes to uh, the same thing when it comes to horse betting. If you don't know what an exacto is or a trifecta is, and you're looking to bet on that, then then don't do that. You know, obviously, if you're doing on, you know, when you're looking at your horse finishes first place, or your horse finishes first or second, and show first, second, or third across the board. Uh, you need three equal win place show bets. Uh, the exact is you have to pick two horses in one way, and the same thing with you know trifecta. You're picking three, so it gets a lot more. So as you go down to those other uh, those other types of bets, what you're doing is actually you're just lowering your odds of winning because so many different things have to happen. Uh, you know, and you can combo some of those things. You can do it across the board with an exact. There's so many different ways to do it. I would suggest that uh, if this is your first time or you're not sure how they do it. Do the easy ones. Do it. Uh, place on just the horse you think is going to win, or you can do a win-play show. Obviously, that's going to cost you a little more cash. But do what do what makes sense to you, and and do what seems that you understand. If you don't understand how you can uh, win your money back, don't spend your money. I would. It just seems like a, a a stupid thing to do. If you don't know how you're winning your money back, then don't spend your money. Absolutely. We're talking with Mo for the BS Sports Show. Uh, Rick, do you got anything else for uh, Mo on the Kentucky Derby? And we're going to get into these NBA finals and uh, what's going on over there. Uh, just an interesting tidbit, you know, Scat Daddy, the horse that actually walked out of the paddock uh, in 2015 and dropped dead right then and there in perfect health, is actually the sire to four horses in the race today. Oh, yeah. So, pretty cool. It's uh, Magna Moon, Ben Russo, Audible, and Justify. So, both favorites. Uh, it, sons of uh, Scat Daddy, the horse that dropped in the paddock at the Churchill Downs in 2015. Always, yeah, there's always good stories uh, with these horses. I remember last year, Patchett, uh, the one-eyed horse, uh, didn't quite make it, but that was certainly a big storyline there. Mo, let's talk a little bit about, uh, we'll start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Toronto did what Toronto did. But I would think that Toronto was good enough to at least win a, a little bit with the, with the Cavaliers. Uh, uh, LeBron James just went in there and took care of business. Yeah, you know, and it's crazy. And, you know, we talked about uh, earlier about when teams come to town that uh, just have that swagger and that reputation. Uh, that's definitely one thing in the playoffs that uh, LeBron and the Cavaliers have. We talked about it the whole week leading up would, uh, you know, would Toronto be able not to blow leads and hold on and finish games when it came to the playoffs against Cleveland. And obviously they proved in game one for sure that wasn't the case. They had a big lead. They blew it. You know, and the interesting thing is the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't lead in that game until overtime. And LeBron James and the Cavaliers found a way to win. Game two a little different. Uh, you know, the, the Cavaliers were still close at halftime. And then it felt for the first time in these playoffs like it, it was a different Cavs team. It wasn't that uh, team that was trying to hold off the Pacers or getting blown out by the Pacers. This was a team that was finally in charge. Uh, you know, Kevin Love there uh, was very involved, took advantage of the mismatches down low. Uh, LeBron was just crazy on fire, hitting all kinds of shots from everywhere, and uh, took over and did his thing. And then we talked about trends. You know, Toronto hasn't won a, a, its own five in playoff games in Cleveland, so I wouldn't look for that trend to change tonight. Uh, Rick, so here, here's the thing, uh, Rick or, or Mo, whoever wants to answer this question. What is it about LeBron James that makes him so good? He's like a mutant. He's like he started every single game. Uh, we want to say, comparing to Michael Jordan, a lot of people say he's in a different era, a different conversation. We can have that conversation on who's the better player, Michael Jordan. But we can even throw Michael Jordan in there. you got players like Michael Jordan. you got uh, uh, players that are just seem to be – 
beast. Uh, there's not really a lot of really good, what I call super big stars, super big men in the NBA. Certainly LeBron James is one of those. What makes a mutant like that? That's what we're going to start calling that guy so we can get him away as a mutant. But go ahead, uh, Rick Ormo. Well, I think that uh, one thing that's different is while everybody at the end of the season is going on vacation, LeBron James is back to working out. I mean, the guy spends over a million dollars a year taking care of his body. He's got a hyperbaric chamber in his house, hot tub, cold tub, uh, trainers, a chef. You know, the guy cares about keeping his body in shape. And how many guys can you look at in the NBA who have been superstars who were better in their 15th year than they were, you know, in their 7th, 8th, ninth year? Uh, LeBron James is, is probably having the best season of his career and uh, did it playing every single game, every single uh, playoff game, and played the most minutes in the NBA again and uh, doesn't look like he's uh, slowing down whatsoever. So I, I think it's his commitment to being a top-notch athlete, I mean, I would be hard-pressed to see how many guys in professional sports uh, other than maybe a guy like Tom Brady spend more than a million dollars a year just taking care of their bodies. I do. I spend over a million dollars a year taking care of my body. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Was that hookers? <laughs> yeah, hookers and, hookers and beer. <laughs> hookers and beer. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Rick, do you have any thoughts on uh, LeBron James? We're going to get into some of these other games, but I certainly don't want to exclude you from the conversation, sir. Yeah, I even think after LeBron retires, it's going to be a, a, a lifelong debate past past that. Uh, who's better, uh, Jordan or LeBron? And, you know, uh, my childhood is 80s and 90s, so I'm a Jordan guy, but I do feel like what LeBron has done is more impressive. And I think when it's all said and done, LeBron will actually uh, – I don't know if he'll ever just live up to the Jordan name, uh, but I just think LeBron's career, when he's when he's done, would actually be far more impressive than Jordan's. Well, absolutely. So uh... – uh, uh, Mo, let's uh, talk about the Boston Celtics and the 76ers. If you're 76er fans, you're still t- trusting the process. If you're the Boston Celtics fans, you're like, we got this. We got this. Uh, I mean, really, they do have this in in in, in, in their grasp. They, they lead 2-0 uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers. At this point, I would not bet against Brad Stevens and the Boston Celtics. No, and, and weirdly, uh, one of the things that helped this year for this group now is uh, is these young guys getting to play with the injuries uh, to uh, you know to guys like Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving? So these young guys got to play all season long and, and got a lot of game experience, and so I think you're seeing that now uh, in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year when these these two superstars return. But the other thing you brought up is you know I think that uh, that Brad Stevens has become an elite NBA coach in the fact that. He's definitely outcoached Brant Brown uh, in situations in these games, which, you know, Brant Brown's coached a, a team that's, you know, not had more than 15 wins in the last couple of years. So that's, that's, that's uh, you know, not surprising. But Brad Stevens, I think, uh, has shown that he's become an elite NBA coach. And, again, the injuries with these guys getting a lot of run early in the year uh, has definitely helped them, you know. And, and, and guys like Terry Rozier and, and Jason Tatum, and uh, and those guys, Jalen Brown, they're just they're out there. They're not afraid, man. They're, they're just not afraid. They're out there and they're playing their hearts out and uh, playing hard for Brad Stevens. The game plan is good and it's working out so far against the 76ers. 
Well, absolutely, and I tell you what, a lot of people are, are running that comparison line between the, the Pelicans and the Pacers uh, in, in, in the same types of teams, and ironically, uh, they're both played, uh, played the same type of, of, of teams in the playoffs. We look at the Pelicans and the Warriors. The Pelicans uh, could push this to the Warriors. I still think the Warriors can get out. still think the Warriors will be in the finals out in the West, although not completely. I, I still like Houston a lot, and I think that uh, uh, the Rockets can do uh, some serious damage out there in, in the in the West, but certainly uh, we look at the Pelicans and the Warriors. Is is uh, the Warriors getting a little bit nervous, or they just got that uh, Cleveland Cavalier cockiness about them, where they feel like they're entitled and you, if you want this, you come get it. Well, I I think that the Pelicans they they don't have enough offense or enough guys that can guard the perimeter to take down uh, Golden State. One thing that they do have that the uh, but the Cavs don't have it in the finals of recent years, is a guy who can protect the rim to keep guys like Kevin Durant uh, from driving so much. So it does keep the offense a little bit more on the perimeter, but the, the Warriors also have one of the best perimeter games in the NBA. So with that, you've got to have lockdown defenders in who can guard the uh, you know one, two, and three spot. And I don't know that New Orleans has that enough. And can you rely on guys uh, like uh, Drew Holiday and, uh, and Rondo to give you an offense, not just Anthony Davis. So uh, you, you've got to uh, continue to play great perimeter defense. And we saw that happen uh, with New Orleans last night. But, it, you know, to me, I, I just think there's too much firepower uh, on this Golden State team. Rockets and Jazz doing uh, uh, doing business. I tell you what, may have only been the first round, but if you weren't on the Rockets bandwagon, let me just say two words to you. 50 burger. Got to get on that Rockets uh, train because uh, it's going to collide with the Warriors and it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that concerns me is is how long can the Rockets keep this up? You know, we, we saw it. Uh, we've seen James Harden and Chris Paul in their previous playoff runs collapse as they got deeper into the playoffs, and, and that's somewhat of a concern for me. We saw what happens, uh, you know, when there's an off night uh, for those teams. Uh, for the Rockets the other night, you know, we saw we saw the Jazz take them down, and you know, and don't uh, don't uh, discount yet the uh, the youth uh, and the exuberance of the Utah Jazz. You know, and, and the longer that the series goes on, I think the worse it is for Houston. I think these are definitely some guys that could use uh, knocking this series out in five games and getting a little bit of rest. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see again. You know, Chris Paul and James Harden don't have a, a very good track record when it comes to deep in the playoffs, and can this Houston team? Uh, continue to uh, continue to play and go deeper in the playoffs. I mean, they're obviously fun to watch. They've got great offense. They do play good defense, uh, which is a shocking thing to say about a guy like James Harden. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't count the Utah Jazz out yet. Are you there, Mo? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Hello? Go ahead, Mo. <laughs> you cut it. Yeah, I can hear you. Go right ahead. Uh, I, I'm not sure what, what you caught and what you didn't, but uh, I think Houston wins the series. You said I, don't, I think they need. Go ahead. Yeah, you said don't. No, you just said don't rule the the Jazz out. So that's cool. You know, we're not going to be able to have a balance extra today. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, but certainly, let's get your final thoughts, words, words of wisdom, if you were so, sir, on the Kentucky Derby, uh, Romeo Langford, the NBA, sports in general. What say you, sir? I would say if you're going to bet on the Derby today. Keep to the the simple bets if you haven't done it before, and and don't let the five hours of Derby pregame try to uh, manipulate your thoughts. If you've got a favorite in mind, a, a, a horse that you like, 
bet it. Don't let uh, five hours of pregame try to sway your decision because it will just wind up messing with your mind. So if you're going to bet the horse, bet the one you already looked at, the one you liked, and uh, and keep it simple and keep it within your uh, means of what you can afford to lose. Always bet with only what you can afford to lose. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say go ahead and make your bets now because you're going to have a lot of uh, people try to analysts and, and people on TV try to sway your sway your bets as well. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up, put a bow on it. Rick, I mean, Mo, where can people find your work at Masterpiece, sir? Uh, right now you can come to my house and we'll just sit and talk about them. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Mo Radio Show. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon and, and have yourself a good week, sir. Thanks, guys. Mo, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us helping us break down the ponies. Yes, I bet what you can afford to lose. So, um, yeah, Rick, I can't find anybody that'll take a dollar in Bitcoin. So I'm kind of I'm kind of <laughs> screwed on the on the ponies today. <laughs> Another thing I would say about betting early is go ahead and bet now where the lines are because as they move later on, you know, as the day goes on, it, you might be spending more money to make a bet as we get closer Absolutely. to the race. So bet Absolutely. early. Bet early. I'm not going to do any betting this week. So you're going to be smoking yourself some ribs. What, smoking you, you some got, ribs. You a, do you have – now let's figure out. Let's see if you're a real smoker. Because a lot okay. of people say they smoke, but a lot of people don't really – they just plug in their smoker and just let it come up to a certain – do you got yourself the green egg or do you got yourself the, the, the tra- travel burger smoker? What do you got? Uh, well, you're talking about a Traeger, but uh, I have a, a Masterbuilt Pro. It is the uh, the, the vertical-style cabinet smoker, and uh, going to throw in some apple juice and apple wood today, and uh, it's going to be great. Four slabs of baby back ribs. Right. There you go. I want my baby back. I want my baby back. That's right. <laughs> Give me a baby back boner, Bobby. That's right. Man, <laughs> I'm, I, uh, I, I had a friend over last night, and we grilled steaks. I made me a pretty good tasty ribeye you know a few weeks ago i had some ribeyes stalling out on the uh i had two of them um of course it's just me i'm i'm a bachelor and uh that's okay you know (laughs) i have friends but i'm a bachelor anyway so i had a couple steaks laying on the on the counter there went outside to fire up the grill because only a real grill person uses charcoal that's right Charcoal. So I go out there, fire up the grill. Of course, I have two dogs. I have a Bloodhound Lab mix. I have the Shepherd mix. Uh, the Bloodhound Lab mix can I'm six one can stand on my shoulders and look me square in the eye. She's 170 pounds. Wow. She just got a little bit. <laughs> she just got a little bit heavier because I came back in, and one steak was already gone, and she was headed for the second one, and I caught her red-handed. So apparently she likes her steaks rare, very rare. So um, <laughs> I now have to uh, figure out a more clever way to thaw out my meat. Now today I'm going to be firing up the grill, and uh, I'm going to be doing some just chicken legs and thighs and maybe some drumsticks or something barbecue them up you know world famous though everything i make on the grill is world famous i got me got me some uh yingling uh leftover from last night i got some orchard if you want that you can come get it (laughs) 
<laughs> you went and got I angry orchard. Big, it was for my guest. It was not for me. It oh, was okay. for my, my guest that I had here last night to have steaks with me, and um, that's what she wanted. So, uh, you know. Man, there was no a worries. date, Rick, okay? <laughs> I want it for the date, all right? This whole dating thing is exhausting. We could do a whole show Whole show on dating, that's know. for sure. But anyway, we, I honestly would not know. <laughs> we, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I dropped a little coins on match, and uh, so uh, I've been meeting some good quality people. So maybe there's hope for me after all. Uh, anyway, uh, Rick, uh, our executive producer, we got to wrap it up, put a bow on it. What are you working on for us this week, and uh, what's going on? Uh, you can find me on. Uh, Twitter at Rick and underscore Rick, uh, 12 versus 5.com. Uh, it's also a subdomain going in for uh, IU basketball, Notre Dame football called iurish.com. So working on that also, getting some uh, recruiting information out there for IU basketball and Notre Dame football. And uh, also on Twitter, if you just want to tweet to the show, me or, me or to Tom, it's hashtag American AF. Hashtag American AF, baby. I totally forgot to put it in there, and I totally forgot about 12 versus 5. I'll make that up to you on the back end, sir. <laughs> I promise you that. I promise you that. All right, sir, have yourself a good week, and we'll talk you with you uh, soon. My name's Tom Marquisell, President. Hey, remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.